extravagance. This is probably the best word to describe the way that many Americans live their lives. Extravagance is the excessive or unnecessary expenditure of money. Extravagance is where our wants far exceed our needs. And we see this in all areas of our lives. We see it in the cars that we drive or the homes that we live in, the clothes that we choose to wear, the vacations that we choose to go on, fine dining, and it can even go so far as augmenting our own bodies to our liking. One does not have to be rich to be extravagant, because as a nation, we live on lines of credit. The credit card, or cards, so to speak, depending on how many of those we have, allows us to have what we want now, even if we don't have the means to pay for it. In fact, as I was researching, it's the average American right now has over $5,000 in credit card debt, as a 2020 experience study noted. Interestingly enough, though, this is actually $800 less than what it was the year before, probably because many during the pandemic didn't go out and eat a whole lot or do a whole lot of things, or maybe even because the government gave so much stimulus money. Nonetheless, when it comes to having things, we the people generally keep ourselves always having what we want. Extravagance is most often self-focused, providing ourselves with the very best that we can possibly have. Now, it's not sinful to have things or to work hard to better our lives, but our excessiveness can often blind us to the needs of others, or even more so to the one who has abundantly blessed us. So as we continue our sermon series today entitled, In God We Trust, we come to an interesting passage of Scripture in which we see extravagance played out a little bit differently. See, Jesus and his disciples have arrived in Jerusalem during one of the most holy times of the year. We know it as Passover. And Jesus knows that this particular Passover will be his last, for in two days he will be arrested, beaten, and crucified. And he's tried to tell his disciples that this is coming down the pike, but they don't seem to truly understand what he's talking about. But nonetheless, Jesus and his disciples go to Bethany, a town just outside of Jerusalem, to the home of Simon the leper. Simon has invited Jesus and his disciples over for dinner. And so as they're seated together and reclining at the table, a woman comes in who apparently knows Jesus and whom I'm certain has had some sort of prior transformative experience with him, for she's probably one of many who have experienced such things. Matthew tells us, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Matthew doesn't give us the name of the woman, nor does he give us any background of who she is. Instead, he focuses attention on what she does. She has brought an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume with her as a gift to Jesus. Now, you have to understand that it was customary for the host of the dinner uh, to welcome prominent guests by anointing them with oil. We do not know if Matthew, uh, we do not know if Simon the leper actually did such a thing because Matthew doesn't tell us whether he did or whether he didn't, but what he tells us is that a guest who shows up unexpectedly covers that for him to a great extent. 
You see, an alabaster jar alone was a very expensive thing because it ensured that the perfume that it held would not evaporate. And if we read the Gospel of Mark, we find out that what she has brought forward to Jesus would be worth about a year's salary for a day laborer. Her gift to Jesus is extravagant. It goes beyond what anyone would have done to welcome him. In fact, the disciples, they become furious with this woman with what she has done. In their eyes, she was being wasteful. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe some of you like to watch YouTube. I'm not necessarily a big YouTube watcher, but my boys like to watch YouTube. And one of their favorite YouTubers is a guy who goes by the name Mr. Beast. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He actually lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. But Mr. Beast has made millions and millions of dollars being a famous YouTuber. But the interesting thing about Mr. Beast is that he often gives his money away. You will find him buying homes for the homeless and buying cars for those who cannot afford to buy a car. I believe he even came to Boone, North Carolina and gave away money at Appalachian State University to poor college kids. So this guy is a very big YouTuber, and I happened to watch one particular episode with my boys in which he decided to take a million dollars of his money and to purchase lottery tickets just to see if he could make more money off those lottery tickets than what he gave for them. Well, just to spoil the episode for you, he lost $300,000 in the process. I thought that was very wasteful. I thought, this is crazy. Why would you spend a million dollars on lottery tickets just to lose $300,000? Or even if you won some, that's kind of a dumb thing to do. It seems wasteful to me. Use that money, as you've done in the past, and go help people who need it. You see, the disciples felt the same way I did about what this woman had done to Jesus. They felt that she was being very wasteful by taking this expensive perfume and breaking it and just pouring it over his head. In their eyes, she could have sold this perfume, took the money from it, and given it to the poor among them. And here's the thing. It was Passover week, and during Passover, that's one of those things that's often emphasized. It's kind of like when we gather together during the season of Lent, we take up a Lenten offering together, and we do that as a sacrifice to give to the needy among us, whether it's locally or globally. The disciples see this act in the same way. They could have done this, especially during this time of Passover, but she does not. She has wasted her perfume and thrown her money away for no reason at all. But that is not how Jesus sees her act. In fact, Jesus rebukes them, telling them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus sees her extravagant generosity, and he affirms her for it. Ironically, she sees more clearly than Jesus' disciples seem to And personally, I don't think that she knew that her generous act had a deeper theological meaning to it. Instead, she saw Jesus as one worth giving extravagantly to. But he explains that this perfume is a symbol of his burial to come, for he knows that his body will not receive a proper burial due to the Sabbath start at sundown on Good Friday. And he sees this as a beautiful thing, or literally translated, a good work. 
And the Jewish rabbis taught that a good work was either to do uh, one of two things. One, to give money to the poor and needy, or to bury the dead. Her gift is an act of love, an act of worship that doesn't demand anything in return. Jesus sees it as a good work, an act of giving him a proper burial, an act of love. You know, we read the beginning of Matthew's gospel, and it begins with the birth of Jesus and the magi from the east who come to worship this newborn king. It's an odd way for a Jewish gospel to begin as it highlights pagan worshipers, pagan astrologers who come out of nowhere to worship a Jewish king. They don't even possess the scriptures that tell of Jesus being born, and somehow they know more than the actual people in Jerusalem do. Nonetheless, the Magi, they follow a star, right? And it leads them to the house that Jesus is staying in. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They journeyed a very long way to worship him because they understood him to be worthy of all worship and praise And what else do they do? Well, they give him gifts, gold, which would be given to a king. Frankincense was a very expensive perfume used by the priests in the temple for worship. And myrrh, also a very expensive perfume, often used to anoint someone to a high office or to be used as embalming fluid for the dead. It's easy to view their gifts as a waste, isn't it? A child doesn't need gold or expensive perfume, but these gifts go beyond Jesus' need. They express the heartfelt worship of the givers. For the Magi recognize that the ultimate gift that God has given is Jesus. And I believe that the woman in our story today recognizes that precious gift too. And furthermore, their attitudes are not out of obligation. They're out of joy. Joy. Think about when you have given someone something out of joy. I remember when Angela and I were dating 21 years ago, and I remember that uh, a time where I decided this is the woman who's going to be my wife, and at least I hope that she's going to be my wife, and I'm going to try to take her as quickly as I can so that she's off the market and no one can ask her to marry them. So I went out and I purchased an engagement ring. And I spent a lot of money at that time for young men out of college on an engagement ring, money I didn't really have. And I didn't hold that against her because I loved her and I thought she was worth it and worth so much more. And so I remember buying the ring and I was serving in my first church in Bennettsville and I told my pastor about it and I was like, I'm going to give this to her. And I had it for like two months before I actually gave it to her. And it was eating me alive because I had this really cool thing that I wanted to give to her right then and there, but I had to wait to the right perfect moment. And I remember it was the day after Christmas when we gathered together and I met her in Asheville and we drove out on the Blue Ridge Parkway and I knelt down and I asked her to marry me. Surprised her, but my attitude in giving her this gift was one of great joy. Joy. And I believe that the woman in our story who spent a year's wage on this very expensive perfume, she approached Jesus in the same 
manner. She came with joy. She could have spent that money on herself. She could have bettered her life, but she doesn't do that. You know, the Magi, they didn't have to travel such a long distance to visit this child. And even in doing so, they didn't have to bring expensive gifts to give to him, but they did it anyway. They both gave extravagantly because they understood the great gift of the one that they encountered. They brought their gifts with joy to present to Jesus because he meant so much more to them. This morning I ask you, what about you? Do you recognize the worth of the Savior of the world? When you give to Jesus, do you give with joy or do you give out of obligation? Do you give out of love or to get something in return? Do you give extravagantly to God, to others, or to yourself? Or do you give anything at all? You see, these are the questions that I think that we must reflect on when it comes to our relationship with Christ. So often we offer our worship and our praise to God, but when it comes to bringing our tithes and our offerings, we don't give anything, or we give very little, or we give out of obligation, or we give in hopes of getting something back. Rather than being extravagantly generous towards God, we offer God our leftovers. We don't have a problem writing checks for our wants, increasing what we have, but we can hesitate when it comes to our financial giving to God. And we can justify it. We can say, you know, God doesn't need our money, right? I mean, He's God. If He needs something, He can conjure it up Himself. He doesn't need us. And that's true. God doesn't need our money. If God wants to accomplish something, He can do it on His own. He can do it in spite of us. The issue, you see, is not about God. It's about us. It's not acknowledging the God we worship as extravagantly generous towards us. We lose sight of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ without expecting anything in return. God's love for us is without condition. His grace is so deep and so wide that there's no sin that can escape its depths. And the God that we worship is the one who left the glories of heaven for the scorn of earth so that we might be saved and live our lives in grateful response. In fact, Christ's love compels us to be like the Magi and like this extravagantly generous woman. For We are to be extravagantly generous people because we serve an extravagantly generous God. When I served my first church in Bennettsville, South Carolina, I was there for about a year, I think Angela and I had experienced our first wedding anniversary, or right before our first wedding anniversary. And I was participating in a youth fundraiser. Every year, the, the church would, would do a, um, a big chicken dinner meal, and we would cook 500 leg quarters, and we would sell plates to the folks in the community. And the money raised would go to support our efforts to go to our youth conference in Montreat, North Carolina. On that particular morning, I gathered with some of the men of the church, and we did what we always did. We cooked these leg quarters, and we did them on these huge pig cookers. And um, the morning happened to be really damp, and uh, the wind was blowing that morning, and it blew the, the, the flame out of one of the grills, and I began to smell propane. And, of course, when you smell propane, you need to shut that propane off because it can be very dangerous. And so that's exactly what we did. 
This particular grill was really, really big, and so I lifted the lid just a little bit to let the, the gas dissipate, and it had, a huge, um, it had a huge piece on the front of it that you could bring down to where you light the grill, and I opened that up, and I gave it about five minutes so that everything could dissipate and we could safely relight the grill. But apparently, when I went to relight the grill, there was way more propane in there than I imagined, and whenever I hit the clicker, it sparked, and immediately it blew me back about five feet. It burned my face and my neck and my, my hand. In fact, the, the skin on my knuckles was just dangling off. Um, it was painful, I'm not going to lie. At first, I didn't even realize I was burned. I was in shock and had no idea until the elder who was with me said, are you okay? And I said, I'm fine, are you okay? And he just stared at me with big eyes. And in about 30 seconds, the pain just began. And I felt like I was on fire. And so they took me to Charleston, South Carolina, to the medical university there, where I was in intensive care for nine days. I had severe second-degree burns, and at first they thought I would have to have grafts, but thanks be to God, that didn't have to happen. It was a very painful experience, and it was a very humbling experience to be so young and to be so dependent on everybody else. And at the same time, it was amazing to see how God would work. You see, despite the pain of everything, Angela was working for hardly anything, working as a teacher at a local private school, and Bennettsville was a three-hour drive to Charleston, so she couldn't work during the day and come back. She was by my side at every hour she could be there, even though visiting hours were only a couple times a day. And so as we gathered there and I continued to stay there, the good news was that I was working and that work workers' compensation was going to help cover the majority of my salary. But that still left us financially in a bad way, uh, being two very young people being paid hardly anything to do the work that we were doing. So when I got back home, we happened to check the mail. I received a letter from a pastor friend of mine. He expressed his care and his prayers for me and for healing as I recovered from my injuries. In addition, in his letter, he had shared that his church had given him a bonus, an unexpected bonus, and that he and his wife had felt compelled by God to give it to us. In that card, there was a check for $2,000 made out to me. And he told us to use that money for any financial expenses that we had. And his only request was that one day we would allow God to move us to give to someone else might be in need. Well, I have to tell you, this gift that we received was unexpected. It was extravagantly generous. We didn't know that it was coming and had no idea, and it moved us to tears when we saw this. It was completely unexpected. It was definitely needed, but it also displayed the extravagant love of Jesus Christ. It was a powerful testimony to the goodness and to the graciousness and to the unconditional love of Jesus. They didn't have to do it, but they did it because they know and have experienced the extravagant love of God too. And we've never forgotten this, and it always reminds us of our constant need to give extravagantly beyond ourselves. See, friends, today I want you to know that we worship an amazing God who loves us beyond our best comprehension God has not withheld anything from us. He's given us His very best, Himself in Jesus the Christ. 
And Jesus is worth more than gold or silver or expensive perfume or diamonds or anything and any treasure that this world can offer. Our God is an extravagant God. Grace, goodness, compassion, mercy, and love. And God calls us to be like Him, to follow Him, to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God as we love and as we give of ourselves. Our lives are meant to be living testimonies of God's grace. And God doesn't want us to give back to Him with empty hands or even with clenched fists, but to give as an act of worship and joy for all that He has given and continues to give to us. I think it's important for all of us to know that giving to the church budget is not about paying the light bill or paying the pastors or the staff's salary or maybe even giving to your favorite mission organization. It certainly supports all of those things, but more importantly, our collective giving is an act of worship to the God that we hold in high esteem. Our tithes and our offerings are a testament to God's extravagant generosity in our own lives, even as we seek to be people who are also extravagantly generous for God's kingdom. And while extravagance might be a word that best describes most Americans when it comes to the way we live, wouldn't it be great if the church could reclaim extravagance in the ways in which we show generosity towards God and others around us? In doing so, we bear witness to the greatest treasure of all, to Jesus Christ, who is worth more than anything that this world can offer. So friends, my prayer for us today is that we would in fact live extravagantly generous lives that please the Lord. And in response, may we do so with excitement and with joy as our act of adoration and of worship to the God who has given first to us. Friends, may we do so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.